Church, please be seated. Amen. Well, it's good to be back. It's nice to sneak away for a little bit, but it's also nice to get back. And um, we had a chance to spend a few days up in the Finger Lakes, so we got to celebrate our anniversary and do that with some peace and quiet. So that was kind of fun. And But it's, again, good to be back. So this morning we're going to ask you guys to look with us at Hebrews again, but before we do that, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. So, I forgot it down in the sheet downstairs, so I'm going to, I'm going to steal yours, and then I'll give it back. I won't take the whole thing. What I'm going to ask you all to do is, everyone get this out for a second. You can, you can, we can make our own music, right? So what I want you to do, if you volunteer in any way here at New Life Church, greet people at the tables, count, sweep, clean, if there's anything that you do as a volunteer here at New Life Church, I want you to put your name at the top, and then on the back, just here, this is something I thought you should know right there, just write down what it is you do as you volunteer, and if you could put your phone number, that'd be great too, but if you could do that and place it in the offering plate when it comes by later, that'd be huge, 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 I'd really appreciate that, and the other thing I want you to do is I want you to put a pin on August 30th. We're going to do something special on August 30th, so I just want to ask you guys to do those things for me this morning. It would be hugely, hugely helpful. So if you do that, that'd be great. Is that simple enough? I'm not uh, catching. Is that simple enough? There we go. It's kind of like deer in the headlight moment. So here you go. Matt? Almost. (laughs) Almost. I am not very good at the Frisbee. And the deer the headlight moment thing is true. I'm grateful for it. I used to live, where I used to live up in the country, you would see the deer and the deer would kind of stand at you. We drive on a parkway a lot and I'm amazed at the number of deer on the side of the road and they never look at you. So I'm great, grateful for that. So if you brought your Bible with you this morning, I invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to start at Hebrews 10, verse 32, and we're going to work our way down through a little bit into Hebrews 11 this morning. Before we do that, let's have a word of prayer, and then we can have fun jumping into it. Let's pray together. Father, I want to say thank you so very much for your richness and your goodness to us this morning. Father, for just taking care of us and and blessing us in so many ways. And Father, even as we were singing this morning to be reminded again and again through the music of the song, Jesus, we are here to worship you, to know you, to honor you, to acknowledge you, to live for you. And we just ask that through all the things that take place this morning, you'd be exalted and honored in our midst. We ask this in your precious name. Amen. Now, we're going to start in verse 32, and then we're going to... That's where we're going to start. So let's read along with me, if you would. He said, Remember the early days when, after you had been enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering. 
he's writing to these individuals, and, and again, as we've talked about the people he's writing to, he's writing to the Hebrew community, he's writing to the Jewish community, those individuals who have made a faith decision for Jesus, those in the Hebrew community who have put their faith and their trust in Jesus. And part of what's going on in their lives right now is someone is speaking into their lives, someone is seeking to influence them, and some of them are kind of backing up from their faith a little bit. And they're starting to back a little bit away from Jesus. And, and some of them are kind of backing back more into their Judaism. And some are just kind of backing away. And so as he's talking to them, as he's challenging them, as he's writing to them, he's trying to help them to reconnect and understand why grabbing a hold of Jesus and staying a hold of Jesus is the most important thing they could ever do. Because Jesus is greater than angels. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than the law. And even as we just finished talking in the earlier part of Hebrews 10, Jesus is the greatest sacrifice. And so all of the things that a Hebrew individual would look at as important and significant and valuable and foundational to faith, he's writing and he's identifying how Jesus is greater than all of those things. And the one that you really should hold on to, the one you really should embrace, is Jesus. And then he comes back and he talks to them about some of the things that are taking place. And he says, now remember the early days when after you were enlightened, you endured hard struggle and suffering. And this is, this is true for many, many who have come to a relationship with Jesus. Because the reality is, a Christian faith, a true Christian faith, is in many ways counter-cultural. Now, it should not always necessarily be revolutionary, but it is counter-cultural. Because as you start to stand and as you start to represent Jesus and as you start to live out those values that the scriptures teach, you start to live a lifestyle, you start to have a set of values, you start to have a world view that is often different than the world that exists around you. And the world doesn't always like that. And so then they start to react, they start to respond, and some and often Christians have been persecuted. And he says, as he talks about some of the persecution, sometimes you were publicly exposed to taunts and afflictions, and at other times you were you were companions of those who were treated that way. So let me give you an example of this. Christians were treated very negatively because Christians, as they would come to a point of faith in Christ, as an individual would come to and say, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, they would come back and they would say, we believe that there is one God, and he, you, you know him through Jesus Christ, and we would talk about the Trinity, while we don't fully understand the Trinity, we recognize as true Father, Son, and Spirit, but three, but one. And people would talk about how you need to come to a point in your journey where you put your faith and your trust in Jesus. But the Christians in this world setting, this is like, you got to be crazy. Because, now we talk about the Greek gods and, the, and all that kind of stuff, and people write about that today, and there's a nostalgia about that. And they'll talk about Athena, they'll talk about Zeus, they'll talk about Hermes, and, and they'll talk about the Greek pantheon, and it's kind of a fun thing, science fiction and other kind of stuff. They write a lot about that stuff, and it's all kind of fun and games. But in the world that Christians were living at now, and as he's writing this, that's the worldview. That's the value system. Those are the things that they own. And so they would look at the Christian community and say, what do you mean there's no Zeus? 
What do you mean there's no Hermes? What do you mean there's no Athena? What do you mean there's only Jesus? And then on the Roman scale of things, the Roman worldview is that Caesar was God. There was a godness to Caesar. And you would need to acknowledge that, God, that Caesar was connected to God. There, there was a deity aspect to who Caesar was. And when you say, well, no, I'm not going to identify and I'm not going to call Caesar God. I'm not going to acknowledge that as a reality because I don't think Caesar is God. I think Caesar is a powerful man, but he's a man. He's not God. And so as Christians then would start to take ownership of, of a Christian worldview and a Christian value system, and they would start to say, well, these are the values we hold on to. These are the things we believe. And then we would start to take it from the we to the me. This is the thing I believe. This is the thing I hold on to. They would start to be persecuted. And they would start to be harassed because of the things they believe. And so this is part of what's taking place. And so some of those that are starting to step back a little bit are stepping back because somewhat in the worldview that they lived in, the culture already understood if you're Jewish, you don't agree with those things. We think you're weird. We think you're odd. We think you're really different. But we're not going to give you nearly as much of a hard time because we've kind of already accepted you as an exception clause. We've kind of already accepted the fact that you're not like us, so we have kind of put you in a different category. We still think you're weird, we still think you don't fit, but we're not going to harass you the same way because you're, you're grandfathered in. But Christians, that's a new worldview, it's a new position, it's a new thing that's being espoused in the culture at this point in time. There's no grandfather, and they're going to be harassed persecuted and abused because they don't hold the cultural value systems that are going on. Sometimes, again, we're reading this, sometimes you're publicly exposed to taunts and afflictions, and other times you're companions of those who are treated that way. For you sympathized with the prisoners and accepted with joy the confiscation of your possessions because you know that you yourselves have a better and enduring promise. Now we get to a different part of the worldview system that a Christian was functioning under. So not only do they hold on to a different worldview that they look at certain things and they say I disagree and they would communicate this is where I disagree. But the other part of that whole process is that they were looking and saying they were starting to recognize that I don't need to live for today. I don't have to live for fulfillment with all the things that happen now. They're starting to say, I am looking to a different future. I'm looking to a different destiny. I'm looking to a different eternity. And my focus is ultimately not going to be on achieving everything that I can in the here and now. I'm recognizing that God has put, planned a new future and a different future for me in eternity. So I am not going to try to accumulate and, and all my eggs are not in today's basket. In fact, I'm going to start putting many of the eggs of my life into the eternity basket, not into the here and now basket. And so as they're doing that, as they're wrestling through this process, they're saying, okay, you can harass me, you can make life difficult for me, and, and, and you can persecute me, but you need to understand, this isn't the end game. This isn't the end promise. The end game is what comes next. 
The end game isn't the next 15, 20, or 50, or 60 years. The end game is what comes in eternity. And that's what I'm going to live toward. That's what I'm going to live focused towards. That's what I'm going to live for. And so that tension point is going on. So, the writer says, don't throw away your confidence which has a great reward. For you need endurance so that after you have done God's will, you may receive what was promised. Don't back away. Don't create space. Don't create difference. Don't throw in and quit halfway through. Stay focused. Stay focused. Keep your eyes on eternity. Keep your eyes focused on the goal. And then he makes this statement. For yet, in a very little while, the coming one will come and not delay. And then he he continues, he says, but the righteous one will live by faith, and if he draws back, I have no pleasure in him. God finds pleasure in those who exercise faith. And God wants us to exercise faith. And then he makes this next statement. And this lays the groundwork, these couple of verses lays the groundwork for what starts to now happen in chapter 11. But we are not those who draw back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and are saved. And he starts to talk about the significance and the importance of faith. He starts to drive home the fact that, guys, we need to hold on. We need to grab a hold of what we have said we believed and not let go of it. Because what's going on in our world is our world is, is, is taking wood, whatever, and it's whacking our hands, it's whacking our wrists, it's whacking our arms, and it's trying to make us let go of Jesus. It's trying to compel us to back up and create distance. Because there is reality, there is a spiritual conflict that is taking place, I think, globally in our world. A conflict between God and Satan. And Satan's agenda is to destroy. Satan's agenda is to separate us. Satan's agenda is to have us alienated from God. And so as this process moves forward, God is calling us, God is drawing us, and God is saying, listen, don't let go. Hold on. I'm going to be there with you. Now, in this whole process... We wrestle with the whole component of don't let go. Now, on the other side of that component is the promise that God also promises not to let go of us. Both of these things are true. But in the conversation that's taking place here, excuse me, he's focusing in particular on our holding on. And so he's telling us don't let go. It's important that we hold on. Now, Have any of you maybe been either, you can be on one side or the other of this. Maybe you were the kid, or maybe you were the parent, but you're having your child do something, and you say to them, hold on. And then you do something that causes them to recognize that they need to hold on. So I'm going to pick on Kyle for a second. 
So when we first moved to West Milford, the day camp that we were at, they would go on golf cart rides. And so I took Kyle on one of those golf cart rides. When it was up and down, it was not like golf cart rides on a golf course. This was like riding through woods, up and down, twisting around and all that kind of stuff. And I said to Kyle, Kyle, hold on. And off we went. And he didn't hold on as well as I thought he should hold on. Because he ended up off of the golf cart at one point. And he came back and said, I don't want to do that again. But we say, hold on. And, we, and, and, and off we go. And sometimes we do that like I did with Kyle with the golf cart rides. Sometimes as parents, we put our kids on a swing and we tell them, hold on. And we, and we push them and sometimes they hold on and it's wee. And other times they let go and it's <laughs> All that kind of stuff going on. But God is saying to us, I want you to hold on. Because life is pushing you, life is pulling you, and I want you to hold on. And he talks about the value and the importance of faith. He then walks through, and this is where Hebrews 11 starts to kick in. And this is, again, one of the things I kind of have really enjoyed in the study of Hebrews. Because Hebrews says... We talk about this, and we connect, and he he keeps on connecting bridge points, and he keeps on connecting how different parts are connected to other parts, and here he connects the importance of how this in this journey is connected to the components of faith. So then we move on to chapter eleven. He says, "Now faith is the reality of what we hope for, the proof of what is not seen." The reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. Now, we've used this illustration before. You all have come in, and you didn't hesitate to sit down. You fully expected the pews were going to hold you. You kind of looked at this and said, no, this is, this is past code. People come here every week. I see some people sitting there. I see some people already occupying a spot. Or you say, well, I've come in here before and I've sat down. So there's this expectation, this hope that I'm going to sit. It's going to hold me up. But let me maybe talk about it in a different way. Who here has done any online shopping this past month? Wave your hand at me. You have done online shopping this past month. Many of us do. Many, probably I could say, who has an Amazon account? And just about every household would raise their hand. I've got an Amazon account. Yep, yep. Now, you understand that as you shop online, you are exercising faith? That whole journey is about faith. You're getting online... Faith is the reality of what is hoped for. We are looking at something online and we're saying, okay, I want to find, I want to find a hammer. I don't, I'm not interested in going to Lowe's. I'm not interested in going to Home Depot. I want to look for that hammer online. And so you go online and you look at different vendors and you say, okay, this is the hammer. I see the picture. They tell me they have it. They tell me it's this amount of money. And you push the button and you say to them, I'm giving you this money. You're going to mail it to me and I'm going to have it Thursday. You have just exercised faith. Because you've been looking at something, it's the evidence, they're telling you, they're promising you, you've seen the picture, but you actually haven't seen the hammer. 
you actually have not looked at their inventory list to really find out if they have it in their inventory. But you have exercised faith. You've taken a step and you are fully expecting on Thursday or Wednesday or Friday that the UPS guy, the post office guy, or the FedEx guy is going to show up at your front door and he's going to put a package there and in that package is going to be your hammer. You've just exercised faith. The evidence of things hoped for or the substance of things not seen. You're reading the definition. You're reading the catalog. And you're, they're saying to you, they have them. It's the evidence of things hoped for. And so you take that step of hope, you take that step of faith, you push the button, you have just exercised faith. That's what faith is about. Taking that step, believing that what you are seeing, what you are hearing, what you're being told is true. And it's true in our journey with God. We're looking at the things that God says. We're looking at the ways he reveals himself. We're looking at the ways he shows himself. And we're saying, okay, God, I see these things. I understand these things. I believe those things to be true. Therefore, I'm going to, in a sense, push that button in my life that says, I will believe, I will trust, I will exercise faith. So faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. And he says, for by this our ancestors were approved. And this is said in many, many different ways in, in different translations. Let me kind of hit a few different translations on how this is say, said. So we're reading from the CSB. So this is, and by the way, we're talking about different translations. We're not talking about different, different, different Bibles have different translations. And so people look at a translation, they say, this is how I think it could be said. Okay, and so the CSB says this is were approved. The ESV English Standard Version says, "For in the people of old received their commendation; they were commended for their faith." The New English Translation says, "For in the people of old received God's com- commendation." I like the NIV. It says New International Version. This is what the ancients were commended for. See, God commended. God said, this is, this is how I want you to live. These are the things I want you to do. These are the steps of life I want you to walk in. I want you to trust me. And God would do that over the course of time. And so what happens now in the book of Hebrews is he starts to talk about the different ways that people exercised faith throughout history. And he starts to make tangible some of the, the, the idea of faith. He says... By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. Now a little bit ago we walked through the beginning of Genesis and we talked about this whole process. We talked about how God said let there be and how God created things out of nothing. But he's also saying that is a step of faith. 
Now, in our culture, there's a countercultural worldview that is being presented. And that countercultural worldview that is being presented is that everything has evolved. The worldview that exists in our culture today says that God didn't make anything. It's a series of big bangs, it's a series of other things going on. There's nothing supernatural. All of this is just part of a natural phenomenon. But a follower of God, a follower of Jesus would look and say, no, this is not all the natural process of a natural phenomena. This is the result of God choosing to create and God coming to a point in time where he said, I'm going to create the heavens and the earth. And he spoke those things into existence. Now we can go to Genesis 1 and we can review that and look in that. But that's where we take that step of faith. We say, I believe that this is what God has done. Now let's back up for a second and then talk about how this conflict takes place in people's lives and how it happens currently. Because in our culture today, when we talk about faith in Jesus, we don't necessarily wrestle with the gods of, of the Romans and we don't wrestle with the gods of the Greeks because in that, that worldview has ceased to really exist and be a dominant worldview. But in our culture today, how does that conflict arise? And, and how does the tension rise between, in, a, in, a, in a Christian's world? Because we would say we do believe that God has created. And so when the conversation starts to take place, and we talk to someone who says, well, I think God created. I think God made all of this. And someone looks at this, us and says, you have got to be kidding me. How can you believe that? I've been to grade school, I've been to high school, I've been to college. Everyone understands that all of this happened through evolution. Every under, every, everyone understands that all of this happened through the process of natural selection, variations and all those variations producing better results. And that's how we ended up here. How in the world can you say that you believe that God created? You're crazy. That's how that all works in our world today. Or as we will espouse and hold on to other values that we think God represents. And our world is going to come back at us and say, no, you're nuts. You're crazy. And so what's going on in this culture and in this worldview? Says, he says, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. Not by other values, not by other means, but rather God is the one who created Again, as we walk through the first 10 chapters of Genesis, we saw this story about Cain and Abel. And he writes, he says, By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain. By faith, he was approved as a righteous man, because God approved his gift. Same word, by the way. That same word is going on. So we talk about verse 2. This is how they were approved. And again, now in verse 4, Cain, or Abel, is being approved by God because, Cain, because Abel followed God's directions. Cain did not. And even though he is dead, he still speaks through his faith. And again, Cain and Abel both said, we're going to worship God. They both said, we're going to bring a sacrifice to God. And God had already communicated what his expectation was. 
And God said, I want you to bring me a sacrifice, a burnt offering. And, 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 and Abel listened to God, and, and Abel brought an offering, a sacrifice that was acceptable to God. It was what God had described. It was that which provided the accurate picture of ultimately what Jesus was going to do is he would take our sin for us at Calvary. And God said, this is how I want you to honor me. This is the kind of sacrifice I want you to make to worship me and to acknowledge me that will provide a temporary covering for sin. And so in that process, Abel listened to God. Abel honored God. Abel followed the directions that God gave. But again, when you read the Genesis account, Cain didn't want to do that. And Cain was upset that God did not accept the sacrifice that he brought of fruits and vegetables and things grown from the ground. And God said to Cain, Cain, you know what I'm asking for. You know what I'm asking you to do. You know the kind of sacrifice that I've said is acceptable. Cain, bring that kind of sacrifice and, and it will be accepted. And Cain said, no, I'm not going to bring that sacrifice. Instead, I'm going to kill my brother because he's ticking me off because he's doing what you want and you're accepting that, but you're not accepting what I want. So I'm going to kill my brother. So again, in that process, God said, Abel was trusting me. I said to Abel, bring this kind of sacrifice. That kind of sacrifice brings a covering for sin. And so Abel honored God and did what God said to do. Cain disregarded what God said. He blew it off. Cain did not exercise faith. Abel did exercise faith. And again, we talked a little bit about Enoch. He says, by faith, Enoch was taken away so he did not experience death. He was not to be found because God took him away. For before he was taken away, he was approved as one who pleased God. He walked with God. And you read the Genesis account, and it says, and he walked with God, and then he was not because God took him. But he chose to honor God and walk with God. Now, without faith, verse 6, it is impossible to please God since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. This is one of those key core verses of scripture that kind of ring out loudly and clearly that talk about the journey. And, and so the conversation that the writer is having with the G- Jewish community, the, those Christians who come from that Jewish background, the, who were kind of stepping back, he says, no guys, don't step back, step forward, step into, lean into Jesus. Don't make your focus to here and now, make your focus eternity. And recognize that through faith, God will reward your faith. God will recognize you. God will see you. And that God will bring you into his presence. It's an important verse to remind us that we need to hold on. And that even though the journey at times is tough and difficult and hard. Because people disagree with us and then persecute us and harass us because they will disagree with us. Or because we hold values and ideas and worldviews that they disagree with. Do you find this interesting in our culture? It's really difficult in our culture today to disagree. It's really tough. 
Because what happens is we're expected to validate everyone's position. We can't disagree on those positions. And when we disagree on those positions and we don't validate someone else's position, they get upset and they get angry. That we do not validate their worldview. We do not validate their values. And that's part of what's going on. But the writer says, by faith, by faith. And again, let's just look at that. It says again, it says, Now without faith it is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Now, let's go back to our shopping spree. When you're on your shopping spree and just before you push select, just before you push the button that says buy, just before you push that button that says yes, this is my address and you can use this credit card or debit card. Have you picked up the hammer and looked at it? No. Have you swung it around to make sure it's the right weight? No. Have you looked at it to make sure the head is the right kind of head? That, that, the, that, that the claw part works? And you, you haven't done any of that. Now, it's faith to buy it online. It's not faith to go to Home Depot or Lowe's and find it and buy it. Because at Home Depot and Lowe's, you're there picking it up. You're there looking at it. You are literally there able to wave it around. You can physically touch it. If you want to, you can lick it. You can look at it. You can see it. But you know it's real. You know it's there. You can take it home, but there's no faith being exercised whatsoever when you go to Home Depot and buy that hammer. There's no faith. Because you're picking it up, you've got it, and you're walking up to the cashier, you're laying it on the counter, or you're swiping it over the scanner, and you're buying it. There's no faith, because you see it, you touch it, there's no faith. But there is faith when you buy it online. And here's what God says. I want you to come to me by faith. You're not going to be able to see everything. You're not going to be able to go to Home Depot and Lowe's and find me. You're not going to be able to do that. There's a point in the journey where you're going to have to take that step of faith and push a button in your life that says, okay, I will trust. That is important for experiencing the blessing and the rewarding of God in your life. That is how the blessing of God starts to come into your life. By exercising faith. We have to come to the point where we... He's, he, he just doesn't... He chooses not to show himself and reveal himself that way. He chooses to take a step where he calls us to walk by faith. The writer goes on. By faith. By faith, Noah, after he was warned about what was about... What was not yet seen, and what was not yet seen was the fact that God was going to flood the earth. And God told Noah, Noah, I'm going to flood the earth. Build an ark. And as we read the scriptures and we walk through this, we know that God told Noah this about a hundred years before it happened. Anyone here a hundred years old? 
you know, I feel like you're 100 years old, but I know there's no one here 100 years old. Okay? So, I won't point specifically at those that are the oldest, but as we walk this whole journey, we would recognize that longer than any of us are alive, Noah knew that God was going to bring a flood, and longer than any of us are alive, Noah worked at building the ark so that when the flood came... He and his family and those who would acknowledge God would be able to get on that ark and and find rescue and, and the creatures of the earth would be rescued, at least a portion of them. For longer than all of us have been alive, Noah lived his life looking forward to an event and built a boat, ark. Maybe a, a, the boat people might correct me and say it's not a boat or it's a ship or whatever, built the ark. Longer than any of us are alive, he was exercising faith. He was stepping into that unknown. He did that for a hundred years, stepping into that unknown territory. If you ever get out to the ark encounter, there's a little video that you can see, you can probably see it online, where the news people come and they interview Noah. And they look at him and says, you have got to be kidding me. It's never rained. You tell me you've been here for the last 99 years building this thing and you think it's going to rain? Dude, how crazy do you have to be? And how are you going to get all these animals on the ark? You have your hunters out there gathering them? How are you going to do that? And this whole mocking thing that's going on. It's kind of entertaining, but I think it's also accurate to what happens in our world. But for a hundred years, longer than any of us are alive, he lived anticipating the flood. That is faith. He took a step into an unknown area, believing what God said, and God rewarded. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for the place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out, even though he did not know where he was going. You get that? God, he didn't have a map. He didn't have a GPS. Daniel and I drove across the country a number of years ago. It was a fun experience. And we went north, we went through Glacier National Park and all that kind of stuff. It was really kind of cool, but interesting because we had the GPS on our phone and we were driving past the GPS signal. You know, we're driving down the road and all of a sudden my screen becomes this checkerboard like the graph paper with a dot because we have driven past the map. No map for Abraham. No map. God is saying, I want you to go, saddle up, bring your family, I'll show you where I'm going. That's faith. Let's drop down to verse 11. By faith, even Sarah herself, when she was unable to have children, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age, since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. Sarah was older than anyone in here. Find the oldest person that's in here. And Sarah was older than her. And God gave her the ability to have a child. Faith. And he goes on, he says, 
And let me just read from that, and then I'll keep on going. By faith, even Sarah herself, when she was unable to have a child, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age, since she, was con- since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. Therefore, from one man, in fact, from one as good as dead, came offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and as numerable as the grains of sand along the seashore. Now, this is what he says. These all died in faith, although they had not received the things that were promised. Not all of those things. They received some, but not all. But they saw them from a distance, greeted them, and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Now, those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they are thinking about where they came, from, they would have had the opportunity to return, but they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. See, again, he comes back to that conversation. He cycles back to that process. We need to be looking beyond the here and now. So don't back up and don't retreat. Rather, step forward and embrace Jesus. Take that step of faith. Embrace Jesus. Because as we live and as we look, we're looking beyond the here and now. We're looking beyond what this life is going to bring. And we're looking to what God ultimately is going to do for us as we embrace him in eternity. And does he meet us in our journey now? Absolutely. And that's part of that journey of faith. God met God met Noah in that journey. God met Abraham in that journey. God met each of those individuals in that journey. And he ministered to them. He upheld them. Now, not everything happened exactly the way they were hoping it would, and yet they were knowing also that their focus was on eternity and the, an eternal promise that was coming, not just the physical, tangible one. And so he's telling them, guys, take a step of faith. God rewards those who live by faith. Take that step of faith. Don't back up. Don't retreat. Lean in. Embrace Jesus and hold on to him. Let's pray together. Father, I want to say thank you for the challenge you give us. Father, I want to say thank you for the promise that you give us to hold on to Jesus, to embrace him, to allow him to be the center and the focus of our lives, and to build our lives and our existence around him. Father, I thank you for your rich goodness to us in all that you've done. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.